Welcome to the panel discussion, Risk Proofing the Government Supply Chain, sponsored by Thomson Reuters. Here's today's moderator, Jason Miller. Welcome to the discussion. My guests today are Lynn Cole, the Vice Commander of Naval Supply Systems Command Weapons System Support, Michael Scott, the Deputy Director of the Defense Logistics Agency Logistics Operations, Emil Monet, a cybersecurity strategist in the Office of Cybersecurity and Communications of the Homeland Security Department, and Steve Rubley, the CEO of Thomson Reuters Special Services and Managing Director of the Government Segment. Welcome to the program, welcome to the discussion. Before we get started, let me set some context for our discussion. The topic of supply chain risk management is one that just keeps coming up more and more across the government. In fact, I was at a recent event with the General Services Administration's Federal Acquisition Service, and Bill Zelensky highlighted supply chain risk management and security as one of his four focused areas in 2018. He says to solve the federal cyber challenge, GSA and its partners must ensure the supply chain is secure at the beginning of the process and not at the end. He says GSA and all agencies, for that matter, have to understand how can they determine at the first point of contact that they have baked in those security requirements and understand what they're buying and who they're buying it from. The focus on supply chain risk is receiving a lot of attention beyond just GSA and acquisition. A new policy from the Committee on National Security Systems established an integrated organization-wide cybersecurity risk management program to achieve and maintain an acceptable level of cybersecurity risk for national security systems. Homeland Security Department GSA, which we'll hear from later in the program, issued a new supply chain risk management plan for the Continuous Diagnostics and Mitigation, or CDM, program in August. And the U.S.-China Security Commission is awaiting an unclassified report about the supply chain challenges agencies face in buying commercial technology. And finally, NASA has set up a value-added reseller program for its SOUP5 contract to further ensure confidence in its vendor's supply chain. But it's more than just technology and acquisition and cyber. The Government Accountability Office listed supply chain management as a high-risk area for the Defense Department since 1990. GAO says DOD manages about 4.9 million secondary inventory items, such as spare parts, worth about $91 billion. The supply chain risk management high-risk area focused on material distribution, asset visibility within DOD. And GAO says as of 2017, DOD has made some progress. It addresses weakness around inventory management, but still must improve asset visibility and its material distribution. So a lot of ground to cover with the panel. Once again, my guests are Lynn Cole, the Vice Commander of the Naval Supply Systems Command Weapons System Support, Michael Scott, the Deputy Director of the Defense Logistics Agency Logistics Operations, Emil Monet, a cybersecurity strategist in the Office of Cybersecurity Communications at the Homeland Security Department, and Steve Rubley, the CEO of Thomson Reuters Special Services and Managing Director of the Government Segment. So a lot there I covered, I know, but I'm going to turn to Lynn because uh, I, I kind of ended there with a little DOD excitement. So let's talk supply chain. How are you guys at Naval Systems Supply addressing that, that challenge? Well, we've been doing this business for a long time, and really our supply chain risk management all started off way back in the beginning, specifically when we introduced submarines to the fleet. And submarine safety is one of our most important things that we look at and we've looked at for a long time. So we pattern a lot of our programs for supply chain risk management after what we do in those sub-safe programs. In the sub-safe program, we involve engineers very early in the design of things so that we build into the equipments the safety that needs to be there, the inspection requirements that have to be there, and the receipt inspection requirements that have to be there. So patterned after this, we identify any supply chain areas that have to be monitored with any level of security associated with them. And we make sure that upfront we have the technical data, understand what we're buying. We make sure that we have the quality inspectors out there at the plants, making sure we do first article testing, that we follow the item through manufacture. So we have people from DOD out there on the plant floors uh, watching the item be produced, as well as quality receipt people once it gets to the dockside or pier, wherever we're going to be using the part. So that's the pattern we follow with a lot of our systems to make sure that we have risk uh, accounted for as we introduce parts to our fleet. And when you talk about from the submarine side, I mean, that. Forgive me, but it goes back to the 1940s, 1950s? Yes. Or even before that? It goes back to the beginning of the introduction of supply chain, but it really started off with this mindset with the accident on the USS Thresher. Okay. So it's fascinating because you think submarines, you think the whole pieces and parts are going to that. And, and how does that kind of fall into kind of some of the other areas that you guys look at? Because buying a submarine is much different than buying a weapon or buying a you know, pick, pick your a table. <laughs> so, exactly. And that's where we look at specific 
supply classes, uh, federal supply classes, or types of items that we buy. And we recognize now that we're moving on, we're buying more than like valves for submarines and propulsion parts. We've moved into an area of electronics. So we make sure under cybersecurity that we are planning and purchasing and designing systems with the same level of rigor and understanding of the pedigree of the items that we're introducing to our supply chain as we do for any part that could cause a loss of life on a submarine. Stephen, let me move over to you because one thing that <clears throat> Thomson Reuters does is help people like Lynn and others kind of understand that, that big focus area. Talk a little bit about what you're seeing from your government customers. Well, what we're seeing, I mean, first of all, um, you know, we, we think of it as a partnership. I mean, I think it's incumbent on all of us in, in, in the commercial side and government to try to work together on this topic. Um, we're seeing a much longer supply chain. We're seeing a much more global supply chain and, and ultimately much more complex. And so when we think of, uh, of, the, of, of our government customers and we think about the, the complexity in today's world, open source information is critical to really understanding the risk. And, and we kind of think about it in, in, in four buckets and, and helping our customers. Uh, one of them is just in terms of price risk and the fluctuation of currency, the market risk, uh, the price of raw materials, just from a, a cost standpoint. Then we think of disruption in the actual supply chain and things like natural disasters and geopolitical events around the world. How can that be surfaced up intelligently and quickly so that there could be a plan B, right? And that's a lot of from open source information. And then, and then we, of course, think of the risk of the suppliers, which is um, if things like sanctions and bribery and, and human trafficking and human slavery, what's all down into the supply chain? And how can we you know, best help our customers see those red flags? And then finally, it's more about, okay, that's great at the time, but then there has to be the continuous evaluation, right? And making sure that, that, that new companies, new suppliers, and even <coughs> current suppliers don't get into that red flag area. And I imagine it's the continuous evaluation piece of that that's really getting a lot more attention nowadays. You can kind of look at the price. You, there's some price and, and disruption in the chain. You can't really predict it per se, but you right. can. That's easy to see. It's right. the continuous evaluation that okay today they're good, but will they be good tomorrow? I imagine that's the most difficult one. It is. It is absolutely. And and it's about you know it's not just about the company, but it's also about in in the supply chain maybe a change of an <coughs> officer, right? right? An officer who has had a history of bribery <coughs> or is has has a has a history of. Uh, some kind of you know, it's just nefarious activity. It could be gambling. It could be. Yeah. It could be. It could be. It could be um, sickness. Right. I mean, it doesn't have to be anything nefarious, right? Yeah. It's not the companies that do bad things. It's the people behind the companies. <laughs> so you have to you have to take that into consideration. I think you made a meal uh, shiver for a second. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about uh, supply chain. I, I I I didn't ruin your 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 talk here, but but I know your focus has been cybersecurity, CDM as an example. Talk a little bit about what, how you guys are looking at supply chain from uh, DHS. Sure. So. Um, you know, the federal government, our state and local governments, uh, the critical infrastructure owner operators, all of us as consumers are increasingly dependent on commercial information and communications technology to live our daily lives as consumers and, and accomplish our missions as, as federal, federal agencies. Uh, and so we recognize at, at DHS that, that, that the ICT uh, supply chain, and it's global, as, as, uh, as Steve mentioned, uh, is is a significant source of risk to the department and to the homeland as, as writ large. Uh, so we are we are beginning to address these these issues, and, and Steve brought up a few of those uh, around. You know, who are the companies that we are doing business with, and who are the people that are that are running those companies, and what what are the uh, what are the locations that those companies operate in? What are the laws that those companies operate under? Uh, and then also, what are the deliverables that those companies are providing to us? Is it is it a uh, is it a product? Uh, is it a, is it a printed circuit board, for example, a micro microelectronic? Uh, is it uh, a service? Right. And and for products or services, you're going to look at different 
you're going to look at different things in terms of risk. And really, Jason, this, this is about uh, risk management. You know, you're, not, you're not going to eliminate risk in, in the global supply chain. We know that the global supply chain is, is a good thing. It gets us access to technology quickly and, and cheaply, uh, relatively speaking. Um, and, and so we just need to learn to live in this new world. And I think you, you bring up a very interesting point because there's actually a Supreme Court case that's being talked about right now about laws, and we could talk about that all, all the program, but cloud and, and whether or not and a, a company who has a, a cloud instance in a different country, do they have to abide by it? That's a supply chain risk now. I mean, you didn't think about it probably three or four years ago, but, but now it's part of it. So, I mean, I'll just talk briefly about how are you guys kind of... You, highlighted four or five different areas around risk management, which it's not an order. You don't do one, two, three, four, five, but how are you guys addressing maybe a couple of those? Everything is contextual, right? Your supply chain risk for one program is not necessarily going to be the same as your supply chain risk for another program. So I'll take the CDM program, for example. You mentioned, you mentioned that in the lead-in. Uh, what we've done there is really take a good look at what are the things that we are buying? What are the products that we are buying for that program? And it tends to be software, right? And that software is relatively mature. It's a, it's a technology readiness level nine. Uh, and it tends to be purchased by that program from original manufacturers or their authorized resellers, right? And so we knew that, and that's been consistent over time. What we didn't know was how is that software produced? And that's what we really started to focus in on for the program. So we, we're beginning to ask those, those manufacturers and those resellers to ask the manufacturers that they're selling their products to us, do you, do you make your software in a secure development lifecycle that's documented? Will you share that documentation with us as the program so that we can get a better level of assurance about what you're doing? Is it adequately protecting us? Uh, and so we, we've added uh, you know, an, a number of uh, sort of questions. We have, a, we have a pretty simple questionnaire that, that goes out to the manufacturers. Uh, and it's, it's a yes-no question. Do you use a secure development lifecycle? Do you do independent testing? Will you provide that information to the government upon request? Uh, we've gotten a lot of yes answers, not very many no answers, uh, as, you might, as you might expect. That's a good sign. Hey, right, it is a good sign. Uh, and now we're taking that information and making it available to the program managers and the engineers as they're crafting a CDM solution for a particular a agency or set of agencies so that they can make a decision about how does that supply chain risk best fit into my enterprise risk at that agency where I'm implementing CDM? All right. Let's turn to Mike Scott from uh, DLA. Talk a little bit about supply chain risk management from your perspective. Thanks, Jason. So first, for, for Defense Logistics Agency, we're talking nine global supply chains, uh, over five million items we manage, uh, 35-plus billion dollars a year kind of size of the company, doing a lot of automated acquisition. So for us, Supply chain risk, we, I put it into three main categories. First, like Lynn described, we really have the best controls we can on our processes. End-to-end -end processes, the management of them, all the way from initial uh, planning for parts and supplies through contractor vetting, testing, all the way through end-to-end -end supply chain. The second area I would say for us is a little newer, and I call this your topic of supply chain security. That is becoming a much larger focus for us. Uh, fraudulent actors, uh, intrusions into the supply chain, and our oversight and how we monitor and, and overcome those things that are happening much more often for us. And third, for a business like ours, we really focus on resiliency, uh, surge ability within our supply chain for when we do have issues, and like Steve talked about, we have multiple means to bring support to bear for our military customers. And those are probably the three platforms that we talk uh, supply chain risk. Talk a little bit about the supply chain security piece. We've talked a little bit about mm -hmm. it, but why is that all of a sudden higher up, if you will, in your priority mm -hmm. list, or why did it raise yeah. up? Well, so that started for us, Jason, with uh, counterfeit parts is a major thing for us. And uh, a few years ago, we began looking at new technologies. We, we, one of the big ones we use is DNA marking for certain types of materials so that we can assure kind of the life cycle of the parts that uh, it truly is a, a DOD part and not some bad actor getting into the business. The more recent things we're getting into involve uh, true, I'd say, bad actors that are 
using different means to try to penetrate the supply chain. Uh, they go after this in terms of financial perspectives, uh, even into areas of, uh, uh, let's say, the entities that we deal with from a supplier perspective and trying to uh, manipulate the supply chain. So that is uh, probably the most current thing we're dealing with, and, and it's something uh, every week we are seems like we find something <laughs> and we deal with it and it's a challenge to get ahead of that curve if you will. Let, let me bring you in on this because I think the DNA marking piece is, is fascinating side of it. Uh, very similar, I imagine you guys have very similar challenges as, as the, Mike does at DLA. When, when you look at the obstacles you're facing, as you look at the, the things you have to overcome, I mean, how are you guys using the DNA marking as an example or whatever else type, type of, how do you move forward? So introducing the majority of our parts, DLA actually does a lot of the buying for the items that we use, and we manage the inventory. We do buy the repairs of those parts. In the Navy, it's pretty unique because with the technology that's introduced on board our ships and the categories of items that are safety items, critical air safety items, critical submarine safety items, critical nuclear propulsion safety items, we make sure that we are getting into the area of serial number tracking, that we understand of the components that were not just the consumables, but the things that we repair as we repair and replace them, that we have the pedigree of them going through the system. We understand who's touched them, where they have been, and it follow that through the life cycle end to end of where that part has been. So uh, we we have systems that we're developing at this point in time that are getting more and more into big data and understanding where we're going with serial number tracking to get even more uh, understanding of who's touching that, where's touching that, what parts are being introduced to that, and where we're re introducing any risk. Remember the old days when you could just put an RFID tag on it and we thought we had it made? Ne ne never again. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll come back and continue our conversation. You've been listening to the panel discussion, Risk Proofing the Government Supply Chain, sponsored by Thomson Reuters on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Thomson Reuters delivers trusted answers to government agencies with solutions to support high-priority efforts to manage security, navigate complex regulations, and address fraud, waste, and abuse. With a unique understanding of diverse government challenges, Thomson Reuters will help you meet your mission by delivering comprehensive data, intuitive technology, and high-level analytics. Learn more about partnering with Thomson Reuters at tr.com slash government. That's tr.com slash government. Welcome back. You're listening to the panel discussion, Risk Proofing the Government Supply Chain, sponsored by Thomson Reuters on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today, Lynn Cole, the Vice Commander of the Naval Supply Systems Command Weapon System Support. Michael Scott, the Deputy Director of the Defense Logistics Agency, Logistics Operations. Emil Monet, a cybersecurity strategist in the Office of Cybersecurity and Communications at the Homeland Security Department. And Steve Rubley, the CEO of Thomson Reuters Special Services and Managing Director of the Government Segment. Now, before break, we were talking about the, the idea of managing your supply chain. How do you deal with the, both the obstacles and the challenges that come with it? And one of the things that came up several times during our conversation was this idea of risk. And Emilio, you brought that up uh, a few times saying it's all about risk management. So let me actually start with Michael on this one though. As DLA measures and manages its risk, what's that process? How do you guys do that? Mm -hmm. So I'll start with measure and then get to kind of the mitigating the risk. So for measuring, uh, and again, measuring, you're, you're probably a little bit after the fact of what's happened. So for measuring though, we have a number of metrics. We focus on what our supply discrepancy requests. We have product quality discrepancy reports. And that gives us a good feel for you know, where we have issues in the supply chain and, and where they're coming from, how to deal with them, aggregate them, and put solutions in place. We also closely monitor the level of our suspended inventory, to Lynn's point on the inventory management. Uh, again, links back to where we've had issues with supply chain integrity. So a number of, other, and we have a lot of other metrics that manage what I call more just the, the natural risk to the supply chain end to end uh, that I won't get into here. Let me jump in real quick, I'm sorry to interrupt. One of the things when you talk about supplier discrepancy or product discrepancy, does that mean I wanna buy product A and I get product A1 or product B? 
It means or that, yes. <laughs> yes, it means all that. Okay. Just, it can be that I wanted to buy A and somebody delivered me B. But yeah. is that a supply chain problem or is that just Amazon messed up? Well, to us, that's a supply chain problem. Okay. And when you dive into that, it could just be a, a, a mistake, a discrepancy, or it could be that we have a, a back to the fraudulent actor, that I, I paid for A and I'm getting not only B, but B doesn't meet the specs that we need in our military weapon systems, and it's a much deeper and uglier issue. You don't think of it that way. You think of it just, oh, like I got something and it was a mistake, right? No. You just think that oh, someone clicked the wrong button or, or the supplier right. sent me, but no, you guys... we, we got to have that rigor to Definitely. find out exactly what's going on. And sometimes that we catch that at the time of receipt. Sometimes that's coming from a customer. Some of Lynn's equities may send in a uh, complaint with the part they received. <laughs> Again, never do that. <laughs> and, and that's much more concerning when we get it that way. So a lot of our other focus is on the part of how to mitigate that risk. And so one of the things that's exciting for us this year, this spring we will deploy what we're calling a business decision analytics tool. And it gets to Steve's point earlier on using a lot of web-based advanced predictive analytics to bring focus on three aspects of the supply chain, both the items we buy, the price at which we're purchasing them, and the company entity itself. And so again, back to a lot of automated actions happening, this will be a tool for all of our acquisition specialists to be able to dive into any of those three attributes to get just as much analytic data as possible before we enter into an agreement with someone in our supply chain. All right, so my, my, my reporter antenna just went up. When you talk about this spring we're gonna launch, because those are the keywords we listen for. So this idea of predictive analytics is the idea, and I've heard this in, in, in proper payments, or you've seen this in other areas of the government, the company we're buying this from, are they 99.9% .9 good? Are they 80% good? And how does that fit into the decisions we make? I mean, is right. that the, 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 the contracting officer or the contracting acquisition professional can then look right. through this and go, if I buy from company A, well, 86% of the time they send me the wrong part. That's a problem. Right. That's right. So it's Jason, it's, it's on top. So already over forever, <clears throat> we've had a contracting uh, performance rating system. And so every action we do with someone is recorded there and it provides those kind of attributes. This new area that I'm talking about will be in addition to that, somebody can look into you know, what is happening, for example, Jason Miller Incorporated. What's the latest activity with his company? Did we see uh, some officers changed in that company? And there's some speculation on the <coughs> integrity of that. The pricing of the parts looks you know, very odd. Uh, could be issues with the materials we're buying from you that have issues that, that are out there. So it's on top of the integrity we already had, we feel we need more these days. And so this is what I'll do. Steve, jump in, you're, you're probably like music to your ears, what he's saying in yeah. many ways. <laughs> well, well, look, it, it, it's really about transparency. There has to be more transparency. And it, as I mentioned in the beginning, um, it, it has become more complex. It's much more global. And so it's, it's so important to understand, again, like Mike was saying, who's behind these companies and for there to be some kind of an alarm or some kind of a, an indicator when something changes that's material. Could be financial, right? And this is where it has to be, it, you know, there, there has to be some uh, customization depending on the kind of part, or depending, depending on the, the, the supply. It, it, it's the financial it's the financial side, it's also just the risk of, um, of, the, of the actors of the companies. And so the good news is in today's world, there's more data out there. There is, it's a matter now of being able to process the data so you don't have so much noise that you're overwhelmed to really get the information on the companies and the actual maybe events around the supply chain itself just to be notified when something significant happens. You can't just have all kinds of noise coming at you because we only have so many resources. So it's really about the kind of technology, um, the kind of intelligent tagging to be able to surface that information up so that it can be actually actioned upon. 
And Lynn, it sounds like uh, both Steve and Mike are, are talking about what you just ended with that last segment. It's a big data problem. Are you guys experiencing that big data problem too, like, like Mike was describing? We are, and we are actually trying to bring the data together, not just for the sake of the data itself, but into an environment that we call a logistics cell, where we bring together not only the purchasing agents, but we bring in the technicians, the engineers, the contracts people, and our financial people, as well as our manufacturers and suppliers, into a room with the data. And we try to get predictive in looking at where we're going to see supply chain risks. So we figured out the key performance parameters <coughs> that we need to follow. And by bringing that community together, uh, the tools uh, that we use are only as good as the knowledge that the people bring with them to interpret it, what that data is saying at this point. Uh, everyone's at the point of trying to introduce artificial intelligence and making decisions, <laughs> but we still need the people in our processes. So we are bringing those people together with the big data at this point and making informed decisions proactively about how to mitigate risks that we see coming up. We make sure we go out and we pre-qualify vendors so vendors know what our expectations are. And we also go out and we trust, but we verify our partners. So we trust them to bring to the table what they tell us, but we go out and do that inspect, 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 especially on the systems where we need it. So uh, the people are still a very important part of the equation, even though we are bringing that big data to bear. Steve, she brings up the people side of this, and I think that's one refreshing to hear, of course, because everyone thinks there's this whole discussion in government about, will AI take my job, right? I think we're, we're a little far away from that. But you need the people to look at the data. The, but the people side of this, on the other of it, is the company. It's the people in the company. It's the people who run, who make the, the, the product or service or, or whatever. How does that fit into the risk side, and, and how do you measure that risk of people? Well, the, yeah, the people side, it, 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 to me, it's a critical part of the risk. Um, and, you know, when you're talking about companies all over the world, um, it, 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 you have to start with what data is out there. And the, and the kind of data around the officer directors, that data is out there. Uh, companies like ours, we, we, we have that data for companies all over the world. We, we, we try to uh, connect that with news articles with uh, lists, watch lists on the people, and risky lists around the world, sources like WorldCheck, you need to put that all together. And, and absolutely, it's not just the, the people, but then the other companies those people are connected to. Are they on any of these lists? Have they had some derogatory news? So it, it ha you have to put that together. And then absolutely, th this is not just some big uh, system that's gonna s just going to give you exactly the information, you do have to have people involved because there is a level of vetting once you get back those risks to be able to take it from the 10-yard line into the end zone. Interesting. Now, let me turn to Emil because this will lead us down to the discussion of that second and third tier suppliers, which is critical in cybersecurity, which I'm going to pick on you for uh, since that's where you work. Uh, when, when you talk about the people and you talk about the uh, where things are made, how are you guys starting to kind of measure and bring in that? How do we understand what, what the secondary and third thirdary tiers are and the risks they they prevent they provide the government? Thanks, Jason. So we we really look at all of this. I mean, it's, risk management is is about information at, at the end of the day, right? And we've we've talked a bit about information here. You can't manage what you don't know about, right? And so it it's a matter of tailoring the information that you get about that prime contractor, the, sub, the second tier subcontractor, the third tier subcontractor, which, by the way, historically we've collected information about the tiers of the supply chain in various contexts in the acquisition system for many years, right? Major weapon systems, we, we uh, have consent to subcontract clauses in the, in the contract where, uh, you know, the, the prime contractor is not allowed to pass go unless the government says, yes, you can. Uh, not necessarily advocating for that kind of uh, for that kind of rigor in every contract, and certainly in uh, the context of commercial ICT, we're never going to get that level of control over the over the suppliers that we work with, and so uh, we we really try to to start with the end user's risk tolerance, right? So I'm an end user, I'm buying software for my system, I know what kind of, I know what kind of environment that software is going into, I know what kind of risk I'm willing to take on 
as, as, a, as a user of that product and service. We translate that up into the, the program and the acquisition activity, and then we can go and either as part of our solicitation or prior to our solicitation activities, uh, collect some of that information from the suppliers themselves, right? So if, if you're providing a service, for example, we'd probably want to know about what your insider threat program is like, what your employee vetting processes are like. If you're providing software, as I mentioned before, we want to know how that software is developed. If you're using open source components in that software, we need to know what those are. Because those come uh, in, in, if you know, you get them from one library and compile them uh, in, in February, and you get them, you just, you don't go back to that library in August. You're using that same component, and in that time, a vulnerability may have come out and, and uh, may be present in that, uh, in that component that you're using. So the government, as, as a consumer, needs to know that information because it all goes back to that end user risk tolerance. Uh, I don't know who to start with, whether it's Lynn who's the end user or Mike who has to worry about Lynn's end user risk tolerance. So we'll start, we'll give ladies first, of course. So does, does Mike consider your end user risk tolerance? Yes, he does. Of course does. he does. He, he certainly does. Well, that would have been news if you said, no, he doesn't. Right. But, but we don't we do rely very heavily on the bigger mm -hmm. DOD programs so that DLA puts in place a lot of programs that we leverage off of and uh, we make sure that we do the reporting into systems that are like PEDREP, Product Data Reporting and Evaluation Program, the CPARS, which is the Contractor Performance Assessment Reporting System, and GUIDEP, which is a primary one where we're actually looking for industry to almost self-report first when they find problems into a government industry data exchange program. And if the industry does not self-report, it is DLA who normally would be the person who finds the discrepancies, reports it, and puts out government-wide bulletins so that we become aware of that risk. And you don't want DLA to put out a government-wide bulletin on your company, I bet. Never. Yeah, that's not good. <laughs> so, Mike, let's talk about the, the end user risk tolerance. You heard from Lynn. She, right. she praised your, your work. Talk mm -hmm. a little bit more about how you guys look at it from a broad perspective. So I won't repeat. Lynn covered it perfectly. And, and GuideUp is a huge tool we use. Uh, when I talked about fraudulent actors earlier, that is the means we use to communicate with uh, Lynn and other customers across DOD. The part, when we, to me, when we talk end user risk tolerance, it goes back, our heaviest areas of that get back to this discussion on the people part of the supply chain. And what we've seen in recent years, we do a lot of our own vetting of, of every contract we write. We partner with a lot of other folks to do that. And, and probably the biggest area we've seen in this space is our partnership with the combatant commands. Everything's vetted. Now we're to the point where even if you're competing, even if you're not gonna get an award, you're vetted up front. And that vetting continues throughout the performance of contracts. It, with, I mean, to me, it, it's impressive. We get down to even intelligence gathered by warfighters now that are linked back to supply chain issues day to day. And that is uh, something we deal with. We'll find out, you know, in a given month that now I have, you know, Emil is an example, is a bad actor on one of our awards overseas on a global operation. And I've got it back to that resiliency and redundancy capability. If I don't have somebody else I can turn to, and a lot of times this is the third and fourth tier suppliers, then we're in a world of hurt. And so huge for us to make sure we have that resilient capability. Steve, jump in here real quick, because one of the things that, that when you talk about the risk tolerance of the end user, mm -hmm. does the commercial side of, of the world also worry about that too? Or is it, how's it, is it different, is it the same? It, it's very similar. Um, and, and, and the way Thomson Reuters is thinking about it is, is as I said earlier, is we need to surface up. It's, it's, the, it's the risk of the suppliers, just like we're talking about here, including the people behind the companies and that c continuous evaluation. But in the, in the private sector, they're also very concerned about disruption in the supply chain as well. There's a fire in, near a plant that's going to disrupt the supply chain. There's a, uh, a natural disaster event here. There's a uh, geopolitical event. They want to know immediately right? When this, there's a disruption so they can go to their plan B, because this is going to cost a lot of money and, and, and cause some issues. So, you know, what, 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 what we think about is how do you converge 
news articles about these kind of things, even social media that may be beating the news, right? And be able to surface those risks up immediately, right? So the commercial side is 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 equally interested in that disruption in the supply chain. And then, uh, as I also mentioned, it's the uh, it's the price risk and 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 understanding if you know with currencies they they want to know. So this has become a, a huge issue, and this is why Thomson Reuters were so focused on this because we have uh, uh, corporations and banks around the world that are really thinking about this issue. And the last thing you want to have is when you think about the supplier risk is a company or the government unknowingly, unwittingly contributing to North Korea nuclear program. So an example, a third tier supplier using a parts manufacturer up in Hunchun, China that's using North Korean workers where the 70% of the wages are going to the government to fund the nuclear program. And that's not pie in the sky, that's real. So. It's just this transparency is critical, and it's a reputational risk for the commercial side. Obviously, government as well, but it, it's really thinking about the same things. The recent example, the three hurricanes, yeah. that along with the, all the human suffering and issue, we were looking at what was the impact to our supplier base and what did we have to change. Right. Let's take a quick break on that note. You're listening to the panel discussion, Risk Proofing the Government Supply Chain, sponsored by Thomson Reuters on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Thomson Reuters delivers trusted answers to government agencies with solutions to support high-priority efforts to manage security, navigate complex regulations, and address fraud, waste, and abuse. With a unique understanding of diverse government challenges, Thomson Reuters will help you meet your mission by delivering comprehensive data, intuitive technology, and high-level analytics. Learn more about partnering with Thomson Reuters at tr.com government. That's tr.com government. Welcome back. You're listening to the panel discussion, Risks Proofing the Government Supply Chain, sponsored by Thompson Reuters on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Lynn Cole, the Vice Commander of the Naval Supply Systems Command, Weapons System Support, Michael Scott, Deputy Director of the Defense Logistics Agency, Logistics Operations, Emile Monet, a Cybersecurity Strategist in the Office of Cybersecurity and Communications at the Homeland Security Department, and Steve Rubley, the CEO of Thomson Reuters Special Services and Managing Director of the Government Segment. But before break, Steve was talking a little bit about the commercial side of this discussion, uh, whether or not the commercial companies and, and their concerns, how they're similar to maybe the government's concerns. But in the end, what we're really talking about here is, is this whole idea of risk management is a partnership. It's got to be, you know, the, the road goes two ways, not just one way. So, Emil, start with, from a cybersecurity perspective, when you guys put together the CDM program and looked at the supply chain for the risk management piece, how is the partnership with industry key? How are you ensuring that there is a partnership? It's not just the government pushing out. Sure. Thanks, Jason. So, this is a, this is a shared problem set, right? Uh, you know, it's not just the government that, that inherits risk when we buy things that we don't necessarily know all the details about that are important to how we use them. It's it's the companies here that that uh, you know that are selling those things or manufacturing those things that have risk, uh, you know, of intellectual property theft, of uh, damage to their brand, uh, and 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 of of you know we've seen companies where they've had. Uh, cyber incidents, for example, with as being federal service providers, and they are no longer in business as a result of those cyber incidents. So, you know, th because this is a shared problem, we really have to focus on the uh, the fact that a shared solution is going to be the best way to for us to get to uh, get to good here. Um, you know, it, it, in, the, in our current business environment, um, a prudent Prudent business judgment causes me, as an economic actor, there to externalize as much of the risk as I possibly can, um, and that causes, uh, you know, bad effects downstream. We end up with little companies that bear the, a lot of the risk of, of uh, transactions, or we end up with an end user in the government or elsewhere that uh, assumes a lot of risk that they didn't have any any uh, ability to affect while that while that thing was being delivered. Um, and so we, we really need to push toward a, a way to equitably share the risk throughout the throughout the value chain of the supply chain. Is that possible? Can you equitably share the risk? I mean, the government tends to, with all contracting, push the risk on the vendor. There, there Maybe is that's a deep question. There is there is a spectrum of thought here, right? right. And, and you know, certainly contracts are are mechanisms for risk allocation. Uh, however, I, I think it is possible, and and we see it. Um, you know, we see it in lots of places in the federal government. The CDM program, I think, is doing a fantastic job uh, of doing this. But we, we share that risk. And, and as in CDM, if we see something in a, in a software product that we're buying that we've got questions about, 
we'll call that company in and we'll call that uh, that company's uh, second and third tier uh, subcontractors in to have a conversation about it so that we can get to a place where we can we can understand the problem and then be able to use that be, be able to uh, use I that really product. I was about to say if we see something we say something. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Mike, let me turn to you a little bit about because you guys also very similar to what Emil talks about mm -hmm. is the partnership has got to be shared risk. Right. So. So one of our things this year in our strategic plan with our director is a, an advancement in our supplier engagement program. So we're standing, our senior acquisition executive is leading a program where we're standing up a new ombudsman office. We're gonna have some major industry engagement uh, events this year, even down to individual supply chain captains of industry type events. So that, to us, that's exciting to get into this discussion on supply chain risk. To Emil's point, I think we're ready to share some of that risk more. Uh, probably the thing that comes to mind is with our CIO leads our cyber uh, program, so to speak, and in, under that we are having a lot of discussion on operation security, like to cyber, and where we really do need to talk with industry about certain supply chains and pieces of them. Do we need to coordinate on some new standards of operation, I'll call them. And we understand when we get into those discussions that is a two-way street and we'll end up uh, sharing the risk uh, financially and in other ways for what we want to see happen. I think that is the a huge step forward to say we're going to include the CIO in this discussion because I think many times it's the acquisition side. Mm -hmm. CDM is the, 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 the not not I think is the outlier here because you guys have always had the acquisition and the the, the cyber together. This is a team sport. We got we got to have legal. We got to have IT. We got to have our acquisition folks at the table. But it doesn't always happen. It doesn't we, always we, happen. We know that. <laughs> so, Lynn, let's talk also about supplier relationship management, if you will, or vendor management, whatever we're going to call it. How are you guys partnering with industry a little bit more? I mean, I know you depend on Mike's folks, but still. You have relationships, as you said, for replacement parts, as an example. We do, and we hold strategic industry engagements regularly. And we hold these, we recognize that we write contracts at a very operational level where it goes out to across a company and it enters at a working level. <coughs> but what we do is we roll all that information up to a very senior level and we invite the CEOs or the senior vice presidents of these companies to come to the table and talk with us about the totality of their business they're doing with the government. And we explain to them our expectations of their performance. They tell us where any barriers are being uh, between our cooperation so we can remove them and work at a very senior level to change the dynamics of the relationships out there to make sure everything's moving in a very positive direction. We foster the honest and open dialogue about our expectations and the accountability that we need them to have within their supply chains that they manage at that second and third tier level on our behalf. Steve, you're hearing a lot of the government talking about these vendor relationship management, the, the, the VMOs, I think, we've heard for a, a while. But there's more to it. There's a due diligence piece to it, too, that it's, it has to go to the next three or four or five levels down. Talk about the contractor due diligence side and what should you know, agencies and all companies really keep in mind. Well, yeah, I think, well, first of all, I think from the government standpoint, I mean, similar to an executive order that was put out, uh, a couple years ago on an insider threat program to work with certain parts of the government for companies, you know, it, it's incumbent on companies that work with the government to ensure they have a solid risk management plan for uh, suppliers. And it, it, yes, it, it's hard, but look, the data's information is out there. Nobody has an excuse to say, well, it's too difficult, this is too global, all right? That, that, that's not an excuse anymore. And even to the point of knowing, not just checking a box with my first level of supplier, but there are tools, there's data, there's information that allows companies and government to go even further, and that's the most critical. The, 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 the weakest link in your supply chain is probably that second and third supplier out there. And look, there's there's absolutely ways to to, to first of all uh, identify who they are, but then again to understand who they're connected to, where they do business, what countries, and it's not an excuse anymore to say I, I just it's too hard. Do you get a sense that a lot of the government agencies you work with they have the confidence in their supply chain, or are they building the confidence because that contractor due diligence piece? Yeah. 
creates the confidence. Well, right, exactly. And I, I, I feel like, look, I feel like this is one of the biggest topics going on right now. Um, I think we all at the panel agree. And um, the good news is I think there's absolute awareness how important this is. And, and I feel like there's, there's incredible progress being made as Michael was saying, just with, with what's coming as an example. So uh, I'm encouraged, and, and I see it um, in, in all parts of the government, but it's, it's absolutely critical to the security of the country. I mean, I want to go down the path of confidence, but also contractor due diligence as well. When we talk about cybersecurity, I mean, that's where confidence, uh, submarines is, is, an, is you got to have good confidence in, in anything really nowadays, except for maybe your chairs and tables, but talk, or pens and pencils. But talk a little bit about how you guys are, have, have added the due diligence piece to CDM. Sure. So, you know, it's a re it's really two lines of effort there. One is about the company itself, right? And so you do want to know who the ownership is, uh, what the financial condition of the company is, whether they've had any legal problems, uh, where they where they do business, where they're located, those kinds of things, right? Each one of those can help you establish some level of trustworthiness in that company. But on the product side or the deliverable side, because it's not just products, it's products and services, right? There are ways to establish uh, confidence in, in products and services as well. And I mentioned earlier, you know, from a, from a services, service provider uh, standpoint, uh, you know, we, we would want to know about insider threat programs, employee vetting, uh, employee monitoring, those kinds of things. But then we also want to know if you're providing a service to us as the government um, using IT, where are you getting that IT? Does it have, is it beaconing home? Is it uh, have back doors that, uh, that uh, bad actors can access uh, to get at our information? Because we've seen a number of times where uh, companies deep in the supply chain have been targeted by bad actors so those guys can swim up and get to the information that they're after. Uh, and on the, on the product side, you know, we've got, uh, we've got great, uh, great learning that's happened and, and a lot of work that's happened around counterfeits and that was mentioned before. Uh, and, you know, the, the software assurance and the hardware assurance world are reasonably mature. They're still maturing. But there are ways that we can establish that confidence in uh, the products and the services that we, that we receive. And so due diligence, if you will, is, is sort of wrapping all of those things together. And a big part of that is using the open source information that, that Steve mentioned earlier. But it's also getting that information from the suppliers themselves. And so you kind of combine those things and you get a, a much better risk picture and you can, you can triangulate on where problems are. And that leads obviously down the path of more confidence and, and more understanding that, hey, the, the part I'm buying or the service I'm buying is, is going to serve me well. Right. I mean, there, there, may be a, there may be a circumstance where if you can establish a greater level of trust in the deliverable that you're getting, you may not need to establish that high of a level of trust in the company you're buying it from, or vice versa. Right? You might be able to say, okay, I really know that I trust this company and, and all the, they, have a, they have demonstrated through objective evidence trustworthiness at a high level. Maybe I don't need to then do independent testing on that product because I understand their processes and the technology and the people that they're using to deliver that to me have, have demonstrated trustworthiness. This has been a great conversation. I think we could go probably a, a, another hour, but unfortunately we're, we're out of time. So I just want to let you all take a, a one last kind of talk about the advice, uh, the takeaways that our audience really should take about supply chain and risk management. Uh, when we started the program, we started with Lynn, so we're going to start with the other side of the table and, and put Mike on the spot this time. Mike from DLA, talk a little bit about what should, when you talk to your customers, what should other agencies or vendors watching this, what's their takeaway from our conversation today? So to me, Jason, a uh, couple of big takeaways. One, again, for us, the business decision analytics capability, that is changing our way of life at our agency. And, and I'd suggest and anybody in the supply chain business needs to start getting at what we've been talking about here, getting into the, the lower tier suppliers in the network. Uh, that is just huge. Uh, so that's definitely part of our journey on the way ahead. Uh, I think the other thing that's big for us is we didn't talk about is the formal risk management program that we have. And that is, for us, that is the senior leadership that gets together on a regular basis to put on the radar, radar what is in our scope for risk management. And as an exa one example of that, we had 11 key areas last year in our risk program. One of them was this market intelligence and the need to advance it. 
So I think those are just uh, a couple things, but they're big platform things for us going forward. All right, Emil from DHS. Thanks for having me, Jason. I'd like everybody to really take away from what we discussed today that uh, we can all be smarter consumers. And, and one of the ways we can be smarter consumers is by, by using the information that's available to us, and we talked about that. Uh, as, as organizations, Mike's mentioned having an enterprise risk management capability, it's really important and in incorporating supply chain risk management into that capability. All right, Steve, Thomson Reuters. Yeah, thank you for having me too, Jason. Um, you know, from Thomson Reuters, this is the top area, the top subject for, the, for Thomson Reuters in terms of how we can help both government and commercial customers. And the takeaway is data's out there, the tools are out there, and this is something that every company that works with the government should be prepared to have a solid supply chain plan and a so solid supply chain process. And the government is going to be asking, and the government's already doing it themselves, and uh, there's ways to help, there's tools out there, there's data out there, and uh, it's something that every company should be thinking about. All right. Lynn, you started off our day. Take us home. Tell us about the, you know, when, when you think of supply chain risk management, what, what should your customers, what should your people you work with, your stakeholders understand? Sure. Well, as the primary program support inventory control point for the Navy, I feel that we should, number one, continue to follow all of our quality programs and the processes and policies that are already in place. But be aware that we're adding to them our strategic industry engagements, our addition of big data and bringing the people together with the data into our log cells, and making sure that supply is involved early in the design of our new weapon system platforms so that we can build supply chain risk management into the early acquisition stages of any program. All right, excellent. This is just a fascinating conversation. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to the panel discussion, Risk Proofing the Government Supply Chain, sponsored by Thompson Reuters on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I've been your host, Jason Miller. I'd like to thank my guests, Lynn Cole, the Vice Commander of Naval Supply Systems Command, Weapon System Support, Michael Scott, the Deputy Director of the Defense Logistics Agency, Logistics Operations, Emil Monet, a cybersecurity strategist in the Office of Cybersecurity and Communications at the Homeland Security Department, and Steve Rubley, the CEO of Thomson Reuters Special Services and Managing Director of the Government Segment. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsradio.com and search CHAIN. Thank you for listening to the panel discussion, Risk Proofing the Government Supply Chain, sponsored by Thomson Reuters on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. The entire discussion can be found on demand at federalnewsradio.com. Search supply chain. Thomson Reuters delivers trusted answers to government agencies with solutions to support high-priority efforts to manage security, navigate complex regulations, and address fraud, waste, and abuse. With a unique understanding of diverse government challenges, Thomson Reuters will help you meet your mission by delivering comprehensive data, intuitive technology, and high-level analytics. Learn more about partnering with Thomson Reuters at tr.com slash government. That's tr.com slash government.